church said amen. Amen. If you turn with me, Revelation chapter 12 and verse 11, a very familiar portion of scripture. We'll only read one verse and then we'll unpack that a little bit tonight. Scripture in Revelation chapter 12 and verse, I'd like to talk to you about the power of your testimony tonight. The power of your testimony. Scripture tells us, and they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. And they loved not their lives unto the death. Unto the death. There are three arcs of salvation in the word of the Lord. Number one, the ark of Noah. It was made out of gopher wood. Number two was the ark of Moses. It was constructed out of bulrushes and it became Moses' salvation. God had a plan and an intention for his life. But then three, the other ark of salvation that I'd like to mention to you and talk for a little bit about tonight is the ark of the testimony or the ark of the covenant. It was built out of acacia wood. It shows the humanity that we all have, but it also was covered in gold to let us know that we could access and be covered with the presence and the power of God. The Ark of the Covenant, referred to as the Ark of the Testimony specifically in Scripture, is mentioned 11 times, but also two times in Numbers chapter 4, verse 5, and Numbers 7, verse 89. It is simply called the Ark of Testimony. The Ark of Testimony. Out of all of the furniture in the tabernacle, the Ark of the Covenant is most frequently referred to because of its spiritual significance and the sign of what is to come as a result of it. You can follow its path through scripture if you'll just help me for a moment and and track along with me. Many of you already know the stories, but if you don't, uh, you can find this throughout the Old Testament, the Ark of the Covenant is mentioned. You know, it's, it's a bit of uh, folklore. It's made its way into modern day movies, or maybe not modern day, the, the Raiders of the Lost Ark. And, uh, I guess that's probably, an, I'm, not, I'm not suggesting you watch that, by the way. That just, that's probably, <laughs> I'm not up to date on my movies. I just know that it's made its way into common terms and common vernaculars. It's, it's made its way into fact and folklore, fiction. It's made its way into books. And, but if you'll find the origination of it, you have to look in Scripture. And more than just a storyline or a plot line, it is an intense spiritual purpose that it holds for us, not just in the Old Testament, but in our current day as well. You can follow it in Scripture through the wilderness where God had instructed Moses to create it and construct it. And then on through the Jordan, its blueprints were very specific, and God gave them very uh, specific instructions about how to build it, but then how it was to be transferred. You can follow it from there to Gilgal and then on to Jericho. Watch as it's walked around with the people around that mighty wall for six days and then seventh time on the seventh day until the wall literally falls flat. You can journey along to Shiloh as God takes his place among his people. However, as they become sinful, feel the fear as the, of the people as it falls into the hands of the Philistines. But even though the people's sins allow them to become weak, God's strength isn't gone. Because the ark is removed from its place doesn't mean that God has ever slipped off of his throne. He is still very much in control, and he's very much God and Lord over all. I mean, it only takes a few minutes in Scripture to find that even though it fell into Philistines' hands, they set it up as a symbol and a memorial of their victory. But the next morning, Dagon is laying on its face next to the ark of God. And they kind of 
prop Dagon back up in his rightful place next to the ark of God, but we know that God won't have any of it because the scripture tells us that the next morning, it says they rose early, and behold, Dagon was fallen upon his face to the ground before the ark of the Lord, and the head of Dagon and both the palms of his hands were cut off upon the threshold. Oh, I love this. Only the stump of Dagon was left to him. I'm talking about a God that has power over all of the forces of the enemy. I'm talking about a God that's in control. I don't know what you encountered this week. I don't know what you encountered today. I I mean, we had a little bit of drama going on in our city today, but I feel like as the people of God prayed, that God intervened in that circumstance and in that situation over on Brookside. I, I believe that. Does anybody want to believe that with me, that God is still on the throne and that God is still very much in control? I love how the story goes on. It says, therefore, neither the priests of Dagon nor any that come into Dagon's house tread on the threshold of Dagon in Ashdod until this day. It was an everlasting change in their environment and in their approach to their idolatry simply because a powerful and living God showed up and every other idol fell on its face. That's the God that we're talking about and that's the God that we're serving today. And God's testimony made its way into scripture. But beyond that, it's made, it made its way into the hearts of the enemies around them and the people of God. It was an ark of testimony. It testified to the authority of God. It testified to the power of God. It testified to the ability of God. And it testified to the people of God. As we continue our observation, watch the excitement and curiosity of the men of Beth Shemesh as the Philistines send it back. But their curiosity and looking into the ark cost them their lives as they they lifted the lid and peered into the presence of God. Fear arrests the people and they leave it in Kerjath-Jerim for 20 years. And then the ark is brought to Obed-Edom and its very presence causes the people to repent. In 2 Samuel 6, it says, The ark of the Lord continued in the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite, three months. And the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and all of his household. In the same way that it was a curse to the Philistines, it was a blessing to the people of God. It was a testimony. You don't mess with this God. He is greater. He's in control. He has all authority. I'm glad that we serve that God today. I'm glad that his plan of salvation has been laid out for his people. We don't have to wonder whether or not we're saved. We don't have to wonder whether or not God is on our side. He is. We are his people. We are the sheep of his pasture. That's why scripture adjures us that when we come into the presence of God, that we come with our praise and we come with our, enter into his gates with thanksgiving. Come on, let's come into his courts with praise. I, I just like to take a praise break for a moment. If you just join with me, why don't we celebrate the fact that we know that God, that his testimony isn't some far off scripture, but rather it's a current day event in our lives. I thank you, Jesus. I thank you for that, Jesus. From there it moves to the tabernacle of David and then into the temple of Solomon. The contents of the ark of the testimony were significant because they were there at God's command. As I was preparing, I began to think about the significant things that God allows into our lives. Because he wants us to have a testimony. He wants us 
to have a testimony. I'm glad to testify of the goodness of God. I'm glad to testify about God's ability. But sometimes we have to own the things that are in Scripture. They can't just be black ink on white paper, bound in a black leather book. They've got to be something that is in the heart of humanity. They've got to be something that becomes something that we own. Anybody own this book tonight? I mean, more than just possess it, have it on your bookshelf. Does anybody know that the promises that are here are ours, that God has a plan for us? This is ours. Does anybody know that tonight? But we get to possess those promises. He wants us to have a testimony. God wants you to have a testimony. Now, I know, how many have ever been in a testimony service? How many have ever been in an unforgettable testimony service? And I can already tell from your laughter. I've been there for some unforgettable testimony services where I've learned more about people than I ever wanted to know. I've been there in testimony services when the children should have been ushered out the back door before we began. I've been there for those testimony services, but I've been there in testimony services when the power of God moved in a very specific and deliberate way. When by the power that we talked about, overcomers, we got the blood of the the lamb working in our favor, but there's power when we release the testimony in our lives. I'm talking about testimonies where people began to testify about the fact that there was no way out, but God stepped in. Where there was no other option, but then God showed up. There was no money in the bank, but then a check came in the mail that nobody was anticipating. I'm talking about that kind of testimony service where where all of a sudden, I, I remember testimony services and When people of God, it would just be a little bit tight. And maybe it was a midweek service. Now, this is a great, I'm not, this is no condemnation tonight. You got, you're all, I think Brother Sinclair got you all fired up. But I've been in testimony services where it was just a little, the song didn't do it. The opening prayer didn't do it. Kind of waiting on the Lord didn't do it. Prayer service didn't do it so we just kind of turned it over to testimony service and then as somebody began to tell about the goodness of God in their lives something broke up in that service and before long what was wound up tighter than a drum the Holy Ghost began to move and sweep in that room that is the power of your testimony there's power when you release what God has done in your life when you own it when it's on the inside when your testimony becomes more than just a story it becomes A convicting, compulsion story about who and what God, who you are and what God has done in your life. Those elements of the Ark of the Covenant were were there. Hebrews 9 and 4 tells us the contents. It says that the Ark was overlaid round about with gold. Wherein was the golden pot that had manna. Everyone say the manna. And it was Aaron's rod that budded. Everyone say the rod. And the tables of the covenant. Everyone say the law. The first item that is given to us in the book of Hebrews was the golden pot of manna. Manna was significant of God's provision. If you read in Exodus chapter 16, the children of Israel were murmuring. But God came in and he brought provision for them. 
In Exodus 16, verse 12, it says that even ye shall eat flesh, and in the morning ye shall be filled with bread, and ye shall know that I am the Lord your God. He said, you're going to know it. It's not going to be a question in your mind. It's going to come in such a way that you're going to know. It wasn't Moses out the night before. It wasn't Moses uh, catching all the chickens, bringing them into the, the hen house so you all had something to eat. He said, it's going to happen in such a way. In the morning, you're going to wake up and you're going to realize no man could have done what just happened. Nobody could have, could have responded to the need that we had in this way. And the scripture tells us that it came to pass, that, even, that at even the quails came up and covered the camp. And in the morning, the dew lay round about the host. And when the dew that lay was gone up, behold, upon the face of the wilderness, there lay a small round thing, as small as the hoarfrost in the ground. And when the children of Israel saw it, they said one to another, it's manna, for they wist not what it was. And Moses said, this is the bread which the Lord hath given you to eat. No man did this. God did this for you. You were wondering how this provision was going to be made, but God showed up and made a way in the middle of no way. And Moses said to Aaron, take a pot and put an omer full of manna, verse 33, in. And lay it up before the Lord to be kept for your generations as the Lord commanded Moses. So Aaron laid it up before the testimony to be kept. He put it in that ark of the testimony so that it would become a representation of what God could do. So that God would always be a provider for Israel. When things got a little bit tight and when uh, funds became a little bit lacking, all of a sudden they would be reminded. I tell you what, but remember, there's a pot of manna in the ark because God is able to provide. There's going to be times in your life when God allows you to come to the end of yourself where you will no longer be able to provide. Your need will be greater than your supply. But could it be that God allows us to experience lack because he simply wants us to know that he is our supply, period. I, I, I don't know who writes your check, but before you ever cash it and look at the title, you need to look at a title greater than the one that's there. God made a way for you in the middle of no way. God gave you the job that you've got. God gave you the provision that you've got. Your car in the driveway, God gave it to you. Whatever's parked in the parking lot, God gave it to you. He is a provider. You say, well, I don't, well Pastor Jack, now that you bring it up, I don't have a car. Here's what I know. That's the perfect opportunity for go see Evan. No, I'm just <laughs> he's got a couple. Go see Jack Lehman. I could use a few less in my yard. Could somebody move the Saturn? Could somebody move the Honda? Dad, my brakes are gone. Dad, my air conditioning doesn't work. I could use a few less cars. But God is your supply. Could it be that God allows us to experience lack because he wants to become our supply? And that may be physically, that may be financially, that may be emotionally, and it most certainly is going to be spiritually. And in that moment, when we feel like we are at the end of ourselves, God wants us to know. You, you won't know. As long as you're able to provide for everything that you need, you'll never know God as the provider. 
As long as you, as long as you do everything that you can and you work with your own hands and you create the opportunities and the abilities and you do all that and then your provision comes from your own hand or so you think. You're never going to know God as that provider. But let me tell you, when you come to the end of your rope and all of a sudden there's no other option, you've got no other way, you've got nothing else left but God. That's all you've got. Or maybe you step out by faith and you just simply say, God, I paid my tithes. That's, that's, just, that's just biblical. That's not robbing God. I, I, I've done my bit for stewardship. I've given in the offering. I've done everything I can, but I'm stepping out by faith. And you're wondering where in the world that's going to come from. Come from. I'm telling you, in moments like that, God's creating an opportunity for you to take an omer of manna and put it in your testimony so that you'll have a promise you can rely on in time to come that God is a provider, that God makes a way in the middle of no way. I'm talking about that kind of God today. I mean, can anyone just stop for a moment? I know we're in midweek Bible study, but could someone just stop for a moment and remember when God made a way in the middle of no way. We, we spent Saturday with Kathy's folks. It was Kathy's birthday, and, and she said, you know, for my birthday, here's what I'd like to do. I'd like to take mom and dad to Bangor. I said, all right, let's do it. So we went to Bangor, and what a great day we had. It was beautiful. Sun was shining. Had a great opportunity, and in the overflow of Alice and Terry's life is the word of God, the promises of God, the truth of God, how God is faithful, I'm going to be really honest, and this may or may not make its way to them, but they have had some great challenges in their life. They have had great health challenges. They have had great financial challenges. When we didn't even know there was financial challenges, of no fault, I'll add this, of no fault of their own. No fault of their own. But Alice began to talk. She said, you know, God has just always provided she said, I remember when we were first married and Terry was working, he, he mentioned the amount that they gave for missions and the amount that they gave for the offering. And then he said, our, our mortgage was this amount. They were, you know, just a new young couple and they bought this house. And she, she said, at the end of the day, she said, I was home and I, I wasn't working. She said, but I made this faith promise pledge to God and I'll keep the amount to us. But she said, I had no idea how I was going to make that monthly commitment to God. But she said, God always made a way. She said one time, in specific, she remembers in particular, she said, I, I literally remember praying. And I didn't know where it was going to come from. She said, but I was doing the laundry. And she said, I always put the clothes in and then hit the button and the laundry would fill up. She said, this day in particular, she said, I, I, I hit the button and the, the laundry load filled up, or the, the washer filled up with water. And, and she said, that was, that was not typical for me. She said, I, I went to take Terry's coveralls and, and put them in the washer. And she said, when I did, floating on the top of the water was the very amount that I had given to Faith Promise. Now, I know what you're thinking. Terry left it in his overalls. You don't know Terry. Terry didn't leave it in his overalls. Terry would know exactly where that $15 was. Terry would know where exactly, exactly where 15 cents was. And it wasn't in his overalls. And she said, I know. I, I, I actually told Terry that, so I'm not talking out of school. I said, and you wouldn't have left $15 in your coveralls. He said, nope. <laughs> no. She said, I know God made a way. 
You say, well, it's $15. I'll tell you what $15 is. $15 is a pot of manna in a testimony that years later we're driving down the road and we're, and I'm blinking back tears when she's telling this story about $15 because I know God can do that. I know that the God that we serve in the middle, he allowed that circumstance. He allowed her to be moved by faith to offer maybe what she didn't have. But here's what I know. God is faithful that if we step out in faith, he'll make a way in the middle of no way. And to some, it may seem insignificant. It's just a little pot of manna. But to somebody else, it's a provision that God made. And it was a promise of his faithfulness that in years to come, when they didn't know where to turn, when they didn't know what to do, God was going to be faithful. And God built circumstances and situations like that in our lives so that we'll have a little pot of manna in our ark of testimony in years to come. Hallelujah. God's allowing us to walk in some circumstances because he wants us to have a testimony. There's power. There's overcoming power in your testimony. There's overcoming power. God will supply the need. It may be a Mount Moriah experience where he proves that he's Jehovah Jireh. It may be a barrel of meal and a cruise of oil that pays off the creditor's note for you. It may be that you've given everything that you've gotten. You've got nothing left, but God is going to make a way in the middle of no way. Man, I feel that right now. Would someone just reach up and say, God, that's my testimony. I'm trusting you. If you brought me to this season for this reason, to hear this word right now, I'm ready. God, baptize us with blessing tonight. Release overflow in our life we pray in the name of Jesus in the name of Jesus the second thing was Aaron's rod that budded in Numbers chapter 17 it was Korah's rebellion against Moses proclamation of the tribe of Levi as priesthood you got everybody all stirred up the entire congregation's ensuing rebellion resulted in God taking care of Korah and a rebellion among the people was resulted in a plague that was brought through the midst. And it's only by the intercession of Moses and Aaron that it stops. And in order to stop the complaints of the Israelites, God commands that each of the 12 tribes provides a rod. And only that of the tribe chosen to become priests will that rod miraculously sprout overnight. Aaron provides his rod to represent the tribe of Levi. And we know the end of the story, but they just think of it from their perspective. They didn't know how this was going to pan out. And scripture tells us in number 17, verse 8, it says, it put forth buds, which is what they said it would, that would happen. But not just that, it said it produced blossoms and it bore ripe almonds. It was more than enough evidence to prove that Levi was the priesthood that God had separated. He had brought them out. He had called them out. He had commissioned them. You know, and we still have the same mentality sometimes. We want everybody to have its equal rights, right? Well, that, thank God for that in our nations. But in this specific case, God had called them and he had separated them. Can I just remind us that we all need to be mindful of our testimony? You see that rod? 
was then commissioned to become a part of that ark of testimony. It was a reminder to Israel that God had anointed that priesthood and that God had commissioned them. It was a reminder to that priesthood that they had a job to do. But God wouldn't give it to them empty-handed. He wouldn't just kind of set them out and leave them floundering about, but God was going to anoint them. They were anointed, and God had appointed them for that specific reason. The buds and the blossoms and the almonds were proof that God had his hand on them. They were an anointed group. The anointing that flowed from the top of Aaron's head to the, to his, to the bottom of his feet represented the anointing that God wanted to place in his life and on their lives. But more than that, it was a representation of what God wants to do in our lives. Would you just tap your neighbor and say, you're anointed? Tell him, you're anointed. Luke 4 says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel. Would you tap yourself and say, I'm anointed? And God's commissioned you, God's anointed you to heal the brokenhearted to preach deliverance to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. That commission moves from the Old Testament into the New, and it moves off the page from Aaron and his household to us and our households. God's anointed us. Now what a tragedy it would have been if, if the whole entire priesthood never walked in the purpose that they had been commissioned for. But that same challenge is ours today. What, what a great loss for us. What a great loss for our communities if we don't step to the plate and become the individuals that God has called us to be. Tap your neighbor one more time and tell them I'm anointed. You know, it's easy. See how, see how much less that was? Lower the volume was on that one? Because we can all tell our neighbor, oh, you're anointed. But if you tell them I'm anointed... We don't, we're, we're a little slow to own that one sometimes. We're a little bit shy of it. We don't, we want to come, we don't, oh, we don't want to be proud or arrogant. We want our humility to go, yeah. No, would you just, would you own that for a minute? Tap your neighbor one more time and tell him, I am anointed. Yeah, that's good. Now, now you need to realize that that anointing comes with a purpose and it comes with a call on your life. Because out of seven billion people in the world, God separated you so you would be in service tonight to hear the word of the Lord, to be reminded that God's anointed you. God's anointed you to preach and God's anointed. You say, I'm not in a pulpit very often. It doesn't matter. Your pulpit, maybe your steer wheel when somebody's sitting beside you in the passenger seat, that anointing is on you in that moment. God has appointed you and God has anointed you for here and now. Own it. Put that, put that rod in your ark of testimony and let it become something you declare to the world around you. If there ever was a time when the world needed the gospel preached and broken hearts needed to be healed and captives needed deliverance and sight needed to come to blind eyes, and those that were bruised needed to be liberated. If there ever was a time to preach the year of Jubilee, the liberating, authoritative power of God, it is in our day and it is in our age. And church, we have got to rise to the occasion. We've got to square our shoulders. We've got to put our feet firmly on the floor and begin to declare what God can do through the power of the anointing. Come on, chosen people. Come on, royal priesthood. Rise to the occasion and declare the ability of God to your world. That is what we've got to do. And if we don't, all it is is 
just an ark of testimony that hasn't been employed. It's an ark of testimony that is yet to be used in the world around us. That scripture goes on and says you're a peculiar people. Everyone say amen. That ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. That rod was dead. But somewhere through that night season, God showed up. You may be in the night season of your life and you're saying, I don't know how God could ever use me. Here's what I know. By the time the morning breaks, keep wrestling through the dark because at the break of day, God is about to break something through in your life. Something's about, come on, there's, there's a bud about to break forth. There's a blossom that's about to come. There's fruitfulness that God wants to bring in your life if you'll allow your testimony to be released. Be who God has called you to be. And finally, the word was in the ark of the testimony. You can come back to the music tonight. Thy word have I hid in mine heart. Scripture says that I might not sin against thee. Hebrews 10 verse 16 says, This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws in their hearts, and in their minds will I write them. And their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. That's the power of God's word. But we can't just leave it in the book. I, I was kind of chuckling as I, I picked this Bible up. It's been at home and I was getting ready tonight. I noticed it on my, my bookshelf. This is Pop Tracy's Bible. Kathy's grandfather's Bible. And I thought, well, I'm going to bring that tonight. It's got, under, it's got pages underlined in it. It's got areas that are highlighted and and I got that after Pop passed away but as I got it here on the podium I I got looking and I get kind of chuckling to myself I don't know if Brother Sinclair noticed or not but half of it's all taped up I was was at a committal recently and I knew it was going to be windy I didn't want my pages all flapping back and forth so I said I'll just grab a little bit of tape and I'll close it off and That'll keep it so that when the wind blows and I'm reading the committal service, I I won't have to do funeral service acrobatics. So it's half taped up. That's the problem sometimes is that we've got the word all taped up and we haven't cracked it open. If you'll just excuse me for a moment. As long as this is just ink on paper. As long as it's not open, not used, it's not going to fulfill its purpose. Oh, you know what? I'm going to leave that right there. I'm going to put a little heat on it. I don't want to damage it. You get my point, right? Do I have to follow this through? Thank you. As long as that's all closed up and impossible, if not opened and released in our lives, then it can't become a part of our testimony. But if we allow the word to be opened up and released in our lives, then all of a sudden, watch the word work. It's powerful. As a matter of fact, it's it's quick. Scripture calls it that powerful word of God that can be released 
through us to the world around us. We need this to become a part of our testimony. I will put my law into their hearts and in their minds will I write them. That's powerful. And their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. That's a powerful word from God. As we come back to our text tonight, I could spend more time talking about the word, but really, we just have to open it and ingest it and let it become a part of who we are. The word will bring light in the midst of your darkness. The word will give you authority. The word is forever settled in heaven. That's the word. That's the power of the word tonight. And that's why when Revelation, when it comes to this end time conversation, it says that they, the overcomers, they overcame him. How? How did they, how did they become overcomers? They overcame him by the blood of the lamb. Thank God for the blood. We, we preach about it. We sing about it. And by the word of their testimony. Why? Because what was in that book and what was on those pages became internalized in their lives until they had their own test. That, that testimony became something that was declared to the world around them and it made them overcomers. Hallelujah. That ark was the center of Israel. That testimony was there all the time. In Joshua 3, the ark precedes them in crossing of Jordan. And they stand in the, those priests stand in the middle. Those called out, separated priests stand in the middle of muddy Jordan until all pass over it. Or what was muddy Jordan? And then they become the rear guard for Israel. God's got you covered. The testimony goes before. It stands with you in the middle of the trial, of the overcoming, and then it stands behind you. He's the alpha and the omega of your life. He is the beginning and the finisher. He's the first and the last. He's simply got you covered. And I'd add today that if you were to begin to just study out the, the Ark of the Covenant, the Ark of the Testimony, there's no new way to carry the Ark. There was only one tried and true way. No new cards. The Philistines kind of got away with it because they weren't God's people. But when the people of God got a hold, Uzzah tried to reach out and steady that ark on the cart. And God took his life. Why? Because, ah, uh -uh, you can't have this new cart thing. You can't try and introduce this new plan, new purpose. The testimony has got to be carried in a very specific way by people who are called out, separated, carried Come on, it was very specific how God told them. Cover it with badger skins, and then over those badger skins, take a blue cloth. It's representative of the heavenlies, and cover that Ark of the Covenant. Let it become significant. When you walk in battle, everybody is going to know. There's no new way to carry the Ark. You're going to stand out. You're going to be separated, but I tell you what, you're going to have a testimony. You're going to have a testimony. We already read this scripture in Revelation 12, but if you backed up to chapter 11 and verse 19, we talked about how your testimony is powerful. It's, it creates overcomers. But finally, your testimony is eternal. It was John the Revelator 11, 19. It says that the temple of God was opened in heaven and there, and there was seen in his temple the ark of his testament. If God's testimony follows him, to heaven. If the ark of the testimony follows him there, then yours will follow you there as well. 
your testimony is eternal. So how do we get there? We read it already, Revelation 12, verse 11. They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. But the last part is significant. And they love not their lives unto the death. It's countercultural in our day not to love our lives. It's completely opposite of culture to love not our lives unto death. But that's part of a true believer's testimony. Our life isn't our own. The only life we've got is the one that he has given to us. That's part of our testimony. In closing, Psalm 119 talks about the testimony of the Lord, the power of God's word. Verse 7 says, The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eye. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. But then it moves from the testimony of the Lord to the testimony of the psalmist, and that's what we need to own. He said, if this testimony of God is going to become my testimony, he said, more to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is thy servant warned. Here it is. And in keeping of them, there is great reward. When we release the testimony of the Lord in our life, that testimony that is sure, then it's going to warn us. It's going to compel us. It's going to put power in our testimony. And that testimony is going to allow us to become an overcomer in this end time. That's what I know. Everyone say amen. I thank you for receiving the word of the Lord tonight. But I wonder if we would just stand together and we're going to close in with God just for a moment. I feel I never intended for it to have a, any touch of conviction, but I do feel a little touch of conviction here right now. And I, I know that when that happens, it's because God wants someone to bring change and transition in their life. So I don't know what part of tonight's lesson just kind of caught you right where it hurts. Just kind of jolted your heart and got your attention. But I feel that in the Holy Ghost right now. And I'm wondering if you would just respond to the word that's been released and let God do that work in your life for a moment. It may be that we just lift our hands, but I sure wish that all of us would just close our eyes for a moment and that you would talk to God about what he's talked to us about tonight. Would you make that personal for a moment? I'll I'll talk in the microphone, but it's only so that you'll have a, a moment to be very personal with God. Father, I thank you for these people that have gathered here tonight in this place. And God, your law is perfect. The testimony of the Lord is sure. And God, in our simple-minded ways, you allow it to transform us. And God, whatever work that you're trying to do in someone's heart and in somebody's life right now, that's just the way that you work. That's why you allow us to congregate together and call us your church. God, this is your ecclesia. called out. We've been separated. We're the priesthood that was in that Old Testament, but here we are in 
2019. And God, you're commissioning and you're calling and you're summoning and you're challenging because the time we've got left is so short. But God, you need us. God, you need our testimony so the world will see. God, you want to create jealousy in the heart of the people in the world. They want what we've got. If we will just let them see what you have placed in our lives. I pray that someone would have confidence to release their testimony. God, I pray that someone would talk to their neighbor, their coworker, their friend, their, God, that person that, God, you just prompt them to speak to. That's it. The Holy Ghost is talking right now. Would you just let the Holy Ghost work? God, you're letting someone know that you're in control, you're a provider. God, you're reminding someone of the call that you've placed in their life. And God, you're reminding us that your word is ever powerful and that we should bring it to become a part of who we are. Challenge us and transform us, I pray. We give you all the praise tonight. We give you all the glory because you and you alone are worthy. Will someone just say amen?